You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, when you're brought into court, uh, the first order of business is to give a plea. And you have two options. The judge asks you, how do you plead? And you answer, innocent or guilty. And how you answer that question determines how it goes with you throughout the case. Now, something like this is happening in the parable today. There are two men who enter not into an earthly court, but into the court of God, into the temple. And they each make a plea. One, a Pharisee, pleads innocent, righteous, holy. He brings to the judge the evidence of his own goodness. In fact, he uses the other man who came into the temple with him, standing at the back, the sinner, as further evidence of his case. Dear judge, if you want to see a sinner, look at that guy in the back. Me, I'm righteous, holy. The other guy in the back, on the other hand, the sinner, the tax collector, he gives a different plea. He, he doesn't plead innocent, but rather guilty. He says, I'm a sinner, and I don't need to give you any evidence of this. You know it all. My only hope is mercy. So he prays. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. They're two very, very different men who make two very different pleas, and we see two very different outcomes. And dear saints, this is for us. It's for our instruction, straight from Jesus, for our repentance and for our comfort. Because Jesus has us in the crosshairs of this parable, and especially he's aiming at our sinful flesh, that part of our sinful flesh that is always busy justifying itself. Now, this is a strange thing about our sinful flesh, uh, our inherited unrighteousness that we got from Adam and carried down through our parents to us. I mean, we know on the one hand that this sinful flesh is always tempted to sin, and to rebellion, and to anger, and to lust, and to greed, and to godlessness, and to despair. We know that about our sinful flesh, right? We feel it every day. That our flesh is drawn to sin this way and that. It's like a dog on a leash that gets the smell of a rabbit or a squirrel and is always pulling you off the path. We know that about our sinful flesh. But there's something else that our sinful flesh does. It's maybe more subtle, And it seems to us to be entirely different than tempting us to go this way and that to sin. And that is this. Our sinful flesh justifies itself. Our sinful flesh is proud of its good works. Our sinful flesh boasts of its own righteousness and it excuses our sin and sweeps it away. That's why it's good to talk about the little Pharisee that lives in us. Remember the little Pharisee? And if we want to see how it is with that little Pharisee that lives in each of our hearts, we can listen to Jesus describe him in the parable like this. The Pharisee stood off by himself 
and prayed, I thank you, God, that I am not like the rest of men, extortioners, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, and so forth, and so on. This is the voice of that little Pharisee that lives in us. That's very impressed with ourselves. That's convinced that God is also very impressed with us because of our works. And that little Pharisee, you know how it goes, while it exalts itself, it diminishes everyone else. It puts itself here and everyone else down here. Now, it seems strange, at least it seems strange to me, uh, that, that, that our sinful flesh has these two seemingly opposite effects. Do you see? That on the one hand, it's pushing us to sin, and on the other hand, it's exalting our own goodness. And we are trying to uh, think of an illustration for this, and this is as, as best as we got. Imagine drinking a lot of tequila and trying to play golf. <laughs> now, two di- <laughs> I don't know if this works or not. But two very different things happen at the same time. The one is that the tequila is making you a much worse golfer. But at the same time, it makes you think that you are a great golfer and could probably go on tour. And so there you are, you know, you can't even find the ball, and you're calling everyone over to watch your brilliant play, shouting for everyone to come and see how great a golfer you are, while you can barely walk to the green. I don't, uh, that's your sinful flesh. <laughs> it's pushing you towards sin on the one hand, more and more. And yet, at the same time, it's causing you to grow more and more proud of your good works so that you think that you can stand before God by, by your own merit, by your own effort, by your own doing. The old theologians had a name for this. The theology of the sinful flesh. They called it the opinio legis, the opinion of the law. And here's how it works. This is the sinful logic. If, on the one hand, God is mad at me because of my sin, then, on the other hand, He must be happy with me because of my good works. That's the Pharisee theology, the opinio legis. And you see it. All the time you see it. You see it when you ask a person if they'll be in heaven when they die. And you know the answer. Sure, I will. I'm a good person. We see this, the opinio legis in the parable, when the Pharisee goes into the temple and pray, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other sinners. And we should recognize this, the opinio legis in the meditation of our own mind and in our own hearts, especially when it's time to hear the preaching of the law, when it's time to repent, when it's time to make a plea. How do you stand, guilty or innocent? The little Pharisee wants you to stand before God and plead your own innocence. I'm a good person. I've tried hard. I've helped people. I have good intentions. Whatever. God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of men, extortioners, unrighteous, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. But look what happens, dear saints, when you stand before the throne of God and plead innocence. The court shapes up like this. God stands on the throne. He'll be the judge always. But the one who comes to your side to defend you, your only friend, the devil. He'll be your defense attorney. And Moses and Jesus team up. They are the prosecution. And the evidence that comes into this court 
is all of your sin. All of it. And judgment is passed based on the law. And you who pleaded innocent are found to be guilty, condemned. The wrath that you suffer is the eternal wrath of God. Depart from me, I never knew you. That's where the little Pharisee gets us. That's where the opinio legis gets us. That's where our good works get us. But there's another way. Remember when you go into court, you are offered the question, how do you plead, innocent or guilty? When we go into the courtroom of God and plead guilty, things look entirely different. The tax collector, standing far away, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. When you stand before the throne of God and plead guilty, then the court shapes up this way. The devil stands across from you as your accuser, but Jesus stands next to you as your defense. And the devil might even call Moses to be his expert witness, but Moses is the guy who gave you a ride to the court that morning. (laughs) And the devil tries to bring all of your sins into the court as evidence, but Jesus stands there with counter-evidence. His blood, His suffering, His cross, His death, His resurrection. Do you remember this picture? I hope you can see this in your head. I hope that the Lord engraves this in our mind, that the devil would stand up and say, I'd like to present the evidence against Brian, his sin. And you're sitting there in the court, and you see it, and you hang your head. I know that I did that, that I sinned, that I broke God's law. And it's going to do me in. It's going to be true that I'm found guilty. But Jesus stands up next to me. He stands up next to you and He says, Objection! That sin is died for. And the judge says, Sustained. And your sin is not admitted as evidence. So the devil runs around looking for more. And he brings some more sin into the court. Here's some more evidence, he says. Objection, says Jesus. That sin is died for. Sustained. Every time. Objection. Jesus says, these, look at these wounds. Objection. See the holes in my hand. Objection. See here my side. Objection. The cross. Objection. My blood. Objection. Objection. And your sin cannot stand. It cannot be admitted. It cannot condemn. Who can be against you? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will condemn you? It is Christ who died and who is raised. It is God who justifies and forgives, who puts the righteousness of Christ to your account so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. I tell you, says Jesus, this man... This sinner, this tax collector, this man who brought into the throne of God nothing but a plea for mercy, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. (laughs) Dear saints, it is no accident that the first thing that we do when we come into church is to confess our sin, to plead guilty before God, and beg for mercy. Because we stand before God with nothing to offer, nothing to argue, nothing to give but our own sin and death, and He has for us something wonderful. Jesus. His death. His resurrection. His blood. His righteousness. And with Christ, the verdict is spoken Your sins are forgiven. By this word, by His forgiveness, by God's mercy and kindness, you and I are among the company that Jesus describes in the parable. We go home justified. God be praised. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.